everyone. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live, where generally we talk about the digital revolution that's changing the world. Now, over the last couple of months, we've been talking about how the digital revolution and the COVID impact is changing everything that's going on from the work from home revolution and others. And one of our favorite revolutionaries is with us here today, Chris Lockhead, world-renowned podcaster, author, thinker, serial entrepreneur, and general good guy, Grand Poobah. Uh, Chris has uh, got lots of good thinking about lots of things going on today. Christopher, welcome back. We're always thrilled to have you here on Cloud Wars Live. Uh, Dr. Evans, it's, it's good to be with you. I like to be surrounded by medical professionals at all times right now, so, so it's good to see you. <laughs> Yes, yes. Now, don't look at the fine print on my uh, medical degree too closely. We'll, we'll just gloss right over that. My intentions are good, right? Which is what, what counts most of all. Yeah, if you have good intentions, it doesn't matter what you're prescribing. So, Chris, I know you've got a lot of interesting things to talk about today, but just track us first. Take a second and go back eight, 10 weeks. Just the mindset that's coming through that leads up to, I think, a lot of the big messages you want to share today. Well, you know, clearly as we headed into 2020, by the way, as a side note, 2020 is the longest decade ever, <laughs> but I digress. <laughs> as we're heading into 2020 uh, from a business perspective, right? Things are on fire. Our economy's on fire. Employment is at record or near record lows. And are there problems in the economy in, on J in January, 2020? Sure there are. Are there inequalities? Are there, absolutely. But that said, in general, hard to argue the economy is not on fire. And there's a lot of companies that are had just completed their best year and were heading into what they thought was going to be an even better year. Many, many companies. So that's sort of where we were, right? And then February starts getting a little spooky. And then March hits and bam, everything changes. And some, I don't know what the percentage is. Maybe you know, Bob, but some meaningful percentage of businesses um, they, they, it's illegal for them to operate. Devastating number. Yes. You know, my, my friend, uh, um, Clint, the CEO of, uh, Clint Carnell, the CEO of Hydrofacial, uh, who I think we talked about last time, he described it. He said one of his uh, colleagues at Hydrofacial said their, their, their market was ambushed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I uh, and Chris's thing of we we've never had something like this, right? Where the was thirty two, thirty three million Americans out of work. Ninety nine and a half percent of them, I would say, totally involuntarily. You know, they were their jobs were shut down. They were pushed out of work, which is a tragedy in itself. And then you layer on top of that the fact that they desperately want to go back to work, but there are you know, some forces or vectors or whatever it might be, good intentions, perhaps not leading to good outcomes that are keeping them on the sidelines. So there's a, there's a tension here that is uh, not healthy tension and it needs to change. I think you're right. And, and I also think that there's so much we don't know. I mean, you and I talk a lot about the power of data. You know, so I was listening to some stuff this morning um, uh, on a newscast about um, uh, restaurant workers coming back to work. And I think at a high level, we can all say, we want our restaurants back open. And I'm, I'm sure you like, like we have been trying to support our, you know, we have a four or five restaurants locally that we really adore. And we've been trying to do the curbside pickup since this thing started and, you know, buy 
fucking coupons or wh whatever they want us to do to to help you know and and some of our favorite restaurants have, have moved into farmers markets and are you know selling take home stuff and and all that's wonderful and we're trying to do that and I know lots of people are trying to do that but but now we want to open restaurants again I understand that but of course the problem is we don't really know we don't know what we're dealing with here right and so how often should they wash their hands if you're a server um, should I be wearing gloves? Should I, as a customer, be wearing a mask? I saw this hysterical photo of a mask of this very she-she-looking French lady with a very she-she-looking mask that had a very she-she-looking hole in the mask and a straw right into her wine glass. <laughs> <laughs> so we want to open back up, but the question is, how do we do it safely? And so this this tension is a powerful tension, and it's one that I'm hoping that we can, you know, stair step into carefully here and use data and science as our guide. Chris, can I ask uh, one thing with that specifically? You brought up data and science. I, you know, you've, you've talked about this before. We've got a data problem here and where there's a lack of it, there's confusion, there's mistakes made, you know, there's a lack of innovation and progress made. But there's a lot of people now, I think, who hear about this. They might not work in the fields all the time, and they are seeing these things like the models, you know, 2.2 million people are going to die. This is data-driven and so on like that. There's been a lot of crappy data that's been used, pushed out at people, decisions made by this. And I think one of the issues that's going to happen here about the data problem is, yes, there's not enough of it being applied in the right ways. There's also been wrong types of data put into the this granifier that's kicked out ideas and policies that have been wildly wrong. So I think the public is going to say, hey, wait a minute, I keep hearing about this, you know, data thing, but it sure hasn't helped me. It got my ass kicked out of a job here and, you know, several million other people. So the, the data's issues, there's also got to be a lot of trust that needs to be regained in a lot of fields. I'm not saying data is the problem, but people will have a perception that, wait, is this the good data or is this the bad data? Is this the good or bad cholesterol? Should I believe it or should I not believe it? I agree. And, and I think we're dealing with uh, multiple factors here. First, um, we're learning new things about this virus every day. If you read any of the medical experts, right? So there's all sorts of new stuff showing up every day. And then there's weird shit going on. What's going on with kids and this weird thing that they're getting that is some offshoot of, of it. And so there's, there, so I think there is a, uh, there's data coming in to smart, good intention people who are trying to make a difference, both in, in public service as well as in the medical and science fields. And, and, and it's rapidly changing and that's because we just don't know much. So I think that's one factor. I think there's another factor, which is, um, uh, you know, who said it? Statistics, statistics, and damn statistics. Like anybody in business knows that you can lie with data if you want. You can make graphs and you can reference things and you can take things out of context and you can this and that. And, and most of the time, you know, statistics show if you give people three data points, they'll believe you, which I just made up, right? And so there's like all this shit going on and there's all this weird stuff about, you know, um, Bill Gates infecting uh, Sasquatches with chemtrails so that they'll install 5G and, you know, kill everybody, right? So there's, there's, there's a massive amount of political bullshit. And I think, I think 
no matter where you are in the political spectrum, if you're using C-19 for political objectives, go fuck yourself. That's my opinion. Um, yep. I think the agenda is very clear right now. How do we save the maximum lives and protect people as effectively as we know how? And how do we build a strong American and strong global economy? And how do we do that at the same time? And the dynamic tension is going to be there. I understand that. Um, but make no mistake, uh, we can't be shut down forever. And make no mistake, we can't kill everybody. So we got to figure this out. And so I think at a practical level, what it means is, okay, so um, if I'm a server in a restaurant, I want to go back to work. Maybe my restaurant's opening back up. But maybe I have kids or maybe I have uh, older parents at home. So what do I do? How do I make that decision? That's, I'm talking about the real shit, not all the dumb shit, right? If you're that server, you have a calculated risk decision to make. And the, I think the big we have here, Bob, is, uh, I'll give you a simple example. Uh, we had a horrible tragedy in Santa Cruz here recently where uh, a guy in his 20s, very well respected uh, young man in the surf community, surf shaper, um, got bitten by a shark and died. And it's been a horrible thing. And if you're a surfer, this means something to you that it doesn't mean if you're not. But um, and, and now, I surf all the time. There's thousands of people in this area that surf all the time. We understand this risk. We know they're there. <laughs> okay. We also, if you're, if you're a guy like me, you're generally aware of the data, which is there are, and I forget the exact number, but there are a handful of shark bites attacks in, in the Northern California area every year. And there hasn't been a death in a very long time. So your chances of being um, killed by a shark bite here, are, you have much more risk when you get in your car. And so what's my point? You and I as human beings, with the, let's call them normal, quote unquote, risks, that we take in our lives have at least some understanding of those risks. We know that, that there are risks associated with driving our car. Um, and we decide to take those risks. What the challenge I think we have here is we don't understand these risks. So that's sort of point A. Point B, there's no law that we have against, and I'll use another uh, example that gets you to driving. There's no law that we have that says uh, you, you can't get drunk. I'm allowed to go to the booze store right now and buy, as, there's no limit on booze. So I can buy a truckload of Jack Daniels, come home and drink a giant bottle every day. And if I want to do that, hey, this is America. I'm free to do that. And you understand what you're doing to yourself. We have, on the other hand, if I get in a car, we have a very, you know, the law is completely different there. So in other words, we, our laws generally say, hey, if you want to do dumb shit to yourself, have at it. And you be the arbiter of dumb shit. You know, some people might say, hey, Lockhead, the guy just died surfing and you're going surfing. That makes you an idiot. Okay. I'm, take, I'm taking that risk for myself based on some knowledge that I think I have. The challenge with C-19, of course, is we take risks for others that we don't understand. It's like drinking and driving in that context, right? And so uh, I just think we're going to have to figure this thing out together. And I think 
we have to be honest with each other and we have to we have to try and approach we can't stay doing nothing forever but at the same time we have to take the best information we have and and apply it so you know i saw uh an article recently that i read about with the interview with the ceo of ford and saw some photos and videos of what they're doing and how they've changed their uh manufacturing processes and and the assembly line and so forth and so on and he says absolutely we can open up and absolutely nobody's going to get sick and he sounds like a smart guy and they sound like a smart company doing smart things and i think i don't know if i was an employee there i would probably go back to work um and we don't know what's going to happen with that ford plane and that's i think the reality of where we're at so chris how does uh, you know what you've been saying here i think uh, makes a lot of sense you got those two different things got to get back to work can kill a lot of people uh, get this thing under control and so forth and I love this line that you came up with, the future needs you. Yes. Talk about that. So there's an interesting aha here, which is um, a lot of people think the future just happens. Um, and they treat the future like the weather forecast. Well, you know, the weather forecast is... Um, it's going to be partly cloudy this morning in in uh, Santa Cruz and the temperature is going to be 62 degrees and we're going to have a high of 75 and blah, 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 blah. And that, that, and that just happens. And by the way, best, you know, I can't do anything about it. So when I read the weather report in the morning, it's like, well, I can like it or I can not like it, or I can be somewhere in between, but that's what it's going to be. That I think is a lot of people's relationship with the future. And the reality has always been, that human beings have agency. Human beings can create the future. I don't know who invented the wheel, but I would like to thank her, right? I do know who invented the iPhone and I'm grateful to him for doing that and the team that did that. But those were people. Those people put their pants on every day. They take a poop every day. They're, they are people like you and I, and they decided they were going to make the future exponentially different. That's what they decided. Somebody decided to do that. Les Paul invented the electric guitar. He decided to do that. He was playing an acoustic guitar, trying to, uh, you know, as a busker. And a guy walked up to him and said, you know, we have a hard time hearing you with all this noise around here. It's a shame your guitar's not louder. And then like every legendary innovator and entrepreneur and category designer in the history of the world, Les Paul said, this aggression will not stand, man. And said, how do I make this guitar louder? And sooner or later, da-da, we got the Les Paul. I got two of them hanging behind me here, right? And all I have to say about that is, God bless Les Paul, right? And, and so he did that. And, and any other innovation you want to talk about since, since the wheel, and so my point is, the present's broken. It's fucked. We fucked it. Somehow we fucked it, partially by, you know, our own behavior and partially not. Who the hell knows, right? But shit's fucked up. And now there's never before in history, Bob, been a game of jump ball for the future on every dimension you can think of. Think about an element of business. Think about any element of society. 
you know, there's been a lot of talk lately about the sports leagues and how much we need them and how, how we bring them back. Well, guess what? Right now, baseball is being reinvented. Right now, NASCAR is being reinvented. It's being designed right in front of our face. How's that experience going to be going forward? I don't know. Uh, of course, business and the way we communicate and the use of Zoom and all this stuff, transforming the whole thing. What are we going to come back to? I don't know. Twitter said you don't have to ever come back. On the other hand, humans are social beings and we like to be together, right? Otherwise, we wouldn't live in places like Manhattan on top of each other. I don't know. Have you seen the new Jerry Seinfeld um, uh, Netflix special? <laughs> Pretty sweet. You know, he's, he's bless Jerry Seinfeld, right? But that, that part at the beginning where he, you know, he flies in in the helicopter and all that and it's so fun. Anyway, he, you know, he's talking about Manhattan and when you fly over that part of New York, he's like, there's this one little part with a zillion people in it, right? And then what's, what's surrounding New York? I mean, not that far, miles away. You could walk it on if you had a couple days, right? There's a lot of nothing, green space. It's like, hey, spread the fuck out. <laughs> But now let's get right on top of each other. So I don't know. There's something that Jerry does, you know, a hysterical job of it. But human beings like to be around human beings. So again, we're 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 everything's up for grabs. Everything's being reinvented. There's no element of our society that isn't going to get reexamined. Um, and so I think what that means is the future does need us. Now is the time for the people who are in positions to make a difference, to be creative, to be innovative, to stand up. We are in a crisis. We don't know how long this will last. The Great Depression lasted uh, 13, 14, 14 years, I believe. We don't know how long this thing is gonna be with us. We'd all like to believe there's gonna be a vaccine in 20 minutes, or there's gonna be a this, or there's gonna be a that, or we'll discover this and we can connect it to that. And there's some early things that they're showing signs of light and all that. And fucking A, we all want that. And we don't know. And some people are saying the economy is gonna come roaring back. And some people are saying it's not. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know how long this is gonna go on. But what we do know is that human beings have agency. What we do know is we decide. Think about anything legendary that you love that isn't made by Mother Nature. That was made by a courageous person or a courageous group of people. More often than not, a fairly small group of courageous people. And so the aha for me in all of this, because I've had plenty of moments of despair in this thing, and I think most of us have, if not all of us. But as you work through the despair, and as you realize every day that those numbers are not numbers, at the same time, we must move forward. And technologists and, and, and entrepreneurs and innovators of all kinds have been the ones that have led us out of times of trouble in the past. And yes, there's a role for government and bless them for trying to do their part. But the reality is a lot of this sits on the shoulders of you and I. And if anything, this teaches us uh, it's time for um, radical self-reliance. It's time for radical creativity and radical innovation because 
The present is broken and we need to create a new future. And it's up to us to decide what that future is going to be. And you and I have talked about this in the past. The role of technology has never been more seminal to, 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 to the well-being of the human race and frankly, the whole planet. And so those of us in the technology industry, it's our time to step forward. It's our time to create the future. We've had Eric Yuan on my podcast a couple times. He's the founder of Zoom. Holy shit, right? Who knew this time was going to come? Uh, Slack, same thing. You know, and look, the big guys too. You know, it's easy to shit on AT&T. But the reality is uh, the big telecom companies have been extraordinary. Our shit didn't go down. We didn't have some math. Like, this is something that drives me crazy that doesn't get reported, right? So if you think about the big telcos and the big internet providers, right? We didn't have a global collapse of the internet. The worst thing that happened was in Europe, they asked people to tone down the, uh, their high def on Netflix for a while, right? Before today started, I sent you an email. You got it in five seconds. Like, hey, the technology an essential service, eh? And so you think about the difference this technology is making at every level of solving this problem. And now you think about the difference the technology is going to make going forward. Do you think being a digital business matters more now than it did three months ago? Do you think the ability to sell in an omni-channel way matters more now than it did three months ago? And so... I think now is the time to create the future. And I know it's horrible and I know it's hard, but sort of, I had this crazy idea. Uh, we just recently had a um, uh, big time, big ding dong author, uh, Christopher Ryan on my podcast. He wrote Sex at Dawn and he's been on the Joe Rogan podcast a million times. He's one of these nouveau super smart guys. And, um, you know, as we're talking, I said to him, Chris, do you think we're in a cocoon? And I know this sounds like I've been living on the West Coast too long, and that may be true. But, but if, if, if the big ahas were not, you know, you hear this stuff about reopening and going back to work, opening the economy back up. Words matter. I don't think we're going back to shit. February's over forever. And so what I mean by are we in a cocoon is, are we in some transitionary period as a species? Are we moving from where we were in February to some new state of being, of way of working, of way of living, of way of playing? I think we are. And I think a lot of the transformations that were underway pre-C19 are going to accelerate. So, you know, think of a simple one. Um, the decline of people going to movie theaters. Well, are, new, are, are they dead? I don't know. I, I think it'd be a shame, by the way. I don't go to them very often, but still fun every once in a while. But I don't know. It, you would imagine it accelerates the, 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 the mega trend of home consumption of, digi of, of, of movie content, right? So my point is everything's up for grabs and it feels like we're in this transition state from the way it was to whatever it's going to be. And the aha for me about that, Bob, is we get to decide. I know Eric Yuan. 
I've sat down with the guy. He's a dude. He, he likes what he likes for lunch and you like what you like for lunch. And when you sit down and have lunch with the guy, you're sitting down and having lunch with the guy. And that guy created a business that today is worth $50 billion and is helping to transform the world. Best I can tell, he's a good guy with good people around him. And so that's a guy that did that. Steve Jobs was a dude. Sarah Blakely is, is a gal, right? So our heroes that, that create the future are just human beings who stand up and decide they're going to do something. And so I think we're in this cocoon and I think it's up to those of us who say, I'm going to be the one, or I'm going to be one of the ones, or I'm going to be maybe most importantly on the team that makes X happen. So Chris, um, there are three themes that sort of ran through there. Uh, you know, on the one hand, this thing about the future needs you and you, you know, you could sort of lump the future in with the weather and the economy and too many of us probably have the notion, like, I can't do anything about them. Well, the weather, maybe not, but the economy and the future, we all sure can do something about it. So I, I love your perspective on that. And maybe the antidotes or the, the tools to start to create that. You talked about radical self-reliance, radical creativity, radical innovation. I couldn't agree with you more. The, the cocooning notion and, you know, where we are, where we've been. The other day, uh, last week, the J.P. Morgan Technology Investors Conference, one of the speakers there was Bill McDermott, formerly at SAP, now at ServiceNow. And Bill said, well, let's think about, you know, how much of this, he said, some has been very painful. He said, but what mindset do you choose to bring to this? Am I a victim? Is this terrible? Am I, you know, sitting around waiting for stuff to happen to me? Or said, you go get it. He said, Shortly after he took over as CEO, he said, I visited four continents. He said, we visited, you know, hundreds of customers. It took 16 days. And Chris, I know you've been on many of those around the world, visit them all, touch them all, 16 days, four continents. He said, today, he said, this morning, he said, I visited four continents. And he said, I spoke with people in, you know, no rush, no hurry into the airport. We could take as much time as we wanted. And uh, he said, I think there's a more personal connection that can be made in these times. What do you choose to do about it? I think your examples of some of these uh, entrepreneurs are wonderful here. And Chris, you know, people big and small, you know, I, I would put in those categories of some of the people you mentioned. And I think this is sort of the cocoon effect. Uh, the woman in Texas that reopened her salon and would not apologize to that judge who tried to make her apologize for reopening her business so she could feed her kids. I put her right up there with some of those other people like that, right? It's those people who are going to lead and inspire generations. It happens to be the same business, the 77-year-old barber in Michigan. He said, I've been cutting hair for 61 years. Said, I'm not trying to, you know, get anybody sick, he said, but I've run this business. He said, I built this building. He said, why they're coming after me, I don't know. He said, but I'm going to keep cutting hair. And there are these uh, heroes among us, and I think they should be celebrated. They should be uh, emulated in some ways. And maybe that's the cocoon effect is that instead of going back and people saying, well, I'm going to sit here and have other people determine what I do, maybe there's going to be a lot more self-direction and self-motivation and initiative that people take a little more control over, you know, what impacts we can make on ourselves and our futures. I, I sure hope so. But I, I love your line there, Chris, the future needs you. Fantastic. 
Yeah, I think the future does need us, you know, and I think it's hard to know from a health point of view if what she did was right or wrong. The, the aha, though, is, and this is, this is why, you know, we just don't know, right? And so, like, some of the rules are asinine. You can do this, but you can't do that. And they're like, well, if I can do this, then why can't I do that? Because this sounds a lot like that, right? And so, I, I'm not exactly, like, some of these li lists of things that you can and can't do, I don't know, like, did they spark one up and <laughs> just decide, like, I, so, look, if, let's just, here's what my hope is. My hope is that in areas where uh, the deaths are coming down, I'm not, I'm not, I know this may sound crazy, and look, you know how much time I spent in medical school, which is completely mm -hmm. zero, so I may not be, I'm definitely not qualified to have this opinion and I should probably shut up, but why stop now? I think the infection rates are important to understand. However, I don't, I don't know what the infection rates mean because I don't know what percentage of us are getting tested. I know a lot more now than before. And, and over time, I think the infection numbers are going to be more meaningful. But I, I don't know what the infection numbers mean. I don't know what herd immunity means. I don't know what that means. The only numbers that I know for sure mean something are deaths. And so, you know, I think we have to watch that very carefully, obviously. Now, get, to get back to your, your salon um, owner, we've been told that certain things work. Wearing the masks and the six feet apart and the this and that and the other. Okay, well, if she can do those things, then why can't she open, why can't she cut hair? My wife has cut her parents' hair since this happened. And they're in the scary demographic. But when, when we go see, when we go see them, which we got to go do, we got to go feed them. And by the way, they run a little farm. So guess what? It's busy season, right? So being out in the orchard's easy. But you know, if we do all the quote unquote right things and we wear the coverings and we, if we're going to be, you know, all that stuff, I don't know. So this is the thing about that we don't know, but if we can do X and Y is a lot like X and we apply the conditions under which we do X to Y, why are you telling us I still can't do Y? That I think is a very valid argument. Now, yeah. if you're saying the circumstances need to change, you know, instead of six feet, it's eight feet, instead of hand sanitizer, it's butt sanitizer, I don't know what the fuck, whatever the new rules are, then tell us. But if in general it's these things, then we should be able to apply these approaches that we think work to other things. I don't know. What do I know? But again, I didn't go to medical school. <laughs> well, you know what, Chris? It's funny you mentioned that thing about, did, again, didn't go to medical school. I, I, I believe that the past 10 weeks of one of the lessons that I've taken from this is the tyranny of credentials. There have been some people who did go to medical school and who remind others constantly of being a medical uh, doctor, healthcare professional, scientist, blah, 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 blah. And they have been wrong every single day for the last 80 days. They have been wrong. Yet, because they went to this school or that school, they could be, you know, the biggest dumbasses you could find if, you know, you took a week to go, uh, to go recruit, yet because their credentials. And that's some that I think is going to get crushed as we move into whatever the new thing is, which is, it's not your credentials, it's what you know, it's how you think, it's how you inspire the people, stuff like that. The, the guy from uh, 
you know, the, uh, <clears throat> I'm just blanking on the IMHE models that everybody lived by. He had credentials, you know, a mile long, and he was as wrong as any person has ever been on policy, Chris. So I'd go for that a little. Everybody said the governor of Georgia opening up. He's wrong. There's going to be mass slaughter. Well, just the other day, one of his biggest opponents, the mayor of Atlanta, said, hey, this wasn't nearly as bad as I thought. I don't think I got that right. We're seeing in Florida, similar sorts of things. Texas, these, these things are happening. The woman in the salon that I mentioned in Texas, she said, she's got now there's going to be gloves, fewer people in the salon, face masks, all those things. Said, this place is going to be cleaner than it's ever been before. It's not like let's come back in, you know, on top of each other and I'll sneeze in your face if that happens. But, you know, we'll be okay. So uh, I, I think that part of your plea about how the future needs you is to trust people that we're not going to bumble into the same, you know, potentially dangerous things if we get this crazy uh, virus flying around everywhere. I really believe people are going to come out of this in ways little and big with innovations that maybe they are not of the wheel and the iPhone scale, but they're going to be pretty damn big in the course of people's daily lives, rebuilding their confidence and moving ahead into the future and inspiring other people to let's go do this. But Chris, I got, you know, don't ever say that thing again about you didn't go to medical school and act like you don't have a right to have an opinion about things for Christ's sakes. Well, Jeez. I did used to be an orderly yes. uh, when I was yes. a teenager. So I can say if the definition of a professional is somebody who got paid to do something, if that's your definition of a professional, then in a very real way, I am a trained medical professional. Now, I was an orderly. <laughs> I can shave your nuts if you want me to. But at the, to your point on credentials, I could sign an email or any document, Christopher Lockhead, trained medical professional. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, I think uh, many doctors are fantastic. They're great, but we got to get out of this thing, uh, right? Somebody's a CEO. Well, your CEO must, he or she must be brilliant. Mm, I think you and I have each met some CEOs who maybe don't fully uh, stack up to that standard. Uh, we have met some crazy CEOs, have we not? <laughs> <laughs> Still meet them on a somewhat regular basis, just physically distance meet them now. <laughs> Boy. So, Chris, what about your 10% get stronger notion? Yeah, so this is really interesting. If you dig into the research, um, what you find, you know, uh, so I'm a huge fan of HBR. I started reading HBR when I was 18, 19 years old. And you've um, become quite a contributor there, have you not? You know what? <laughs> Thank you. That's very sweet of you to say. I, I must tell you this. Uh, as a kid who got thrown out of high school, who's dyslexic and has all these other things. I call it dysphuglia, as you know. Uh, um, to be published by HBR, <laughs> did I get you with that one? No, no I have something in my eye. <laughs> uh, so I just anyway, want to say Chris often had, <laughs> Chris like had on his email signature. <laughs> Please, Doug, bless you. <laughs> Blame dyslexia. <laughs> God, yeah, Doug, bless you. Exactly. <laughs> Pardon me. It's okay. Now my brain's rolling around and all kinds of I need of a things. medical <laughs> professional. Are you uh, one? <laughs> here? Here. Can I shave? Can I shave something for you? <laughs> uh, <no. laughs> uh. 
please, sir, continue. Okay. Where were we here? So on the research, yeah, the reading. So um, Walter uh, Frick's got this wonderful piece from uh, 2010 called Roaring Out of Recession. And in it, uh, he synthesizes a bunch of, of research that's been done. And um, the net of all of it, when you look at multiple research sources, uh, they say, he says, the top 10% of companies in Bain's analysis saw their earnings climb steadily throughout the period and continue to rise afterwards. This is the period being, uh, being um, uh, after the recession. 9% um, of companies didn't simply recover in the three years after recession, but they flourished. And then a third study by McKinsey found similar results. So the net net of it is, when you look at the data and you look at what the smart people say, roughly 10% of companies actually get stronger in a recession. And so, you know, I spent a lot of time, uh, like you have, talking to business leaders, CEOs, since this thing started. And an aha for me is, history tells us, and I know this is, quote unquote, unprecedented, but we have to look for insight where we find it. History tells us, credibly, that roughly 10% of companies actually get stronger as a result of a recession or a depression. So why wouldn't we make a commitment to say, we're going to be in that 10%. And uh, my friend Akshay Nanavate, who's a, uh, a Marine, he's been on the pod, my podcast multiple times. He's incredibly powerful. The Dalai Lama recommends his book called Fearvana. He was the guy, Bob, did I tell you this? You know what his job was? This is how you know your boss hates you. When your job is you're one of the two guys who walks in front of the convoy to make sure there's no bombs, you're that guy. That's Akshay. Anyway, very, very powerful guy, very, very insightful guy. And he says you turn things around by turning them into questions. So if you're feeling, you know, what was me and the economy and our business and all this stuff, and look, these things are very real. I'm in no way making light of them, believe me. But if you say, okay, well, in this case, what if we were one of the 10%? Another que interesting question might be, um, if we were smart and we were us, we're definitely us, what would we do now to get into the top 10%? And so even in a situation like my friends at Hydrofacial where their business is ambushed and it's, it, their entire category becomes illegal overnight, there's still a way to ask questions. And in a matter of weeks at Hydrofacial, they've stood up three new businesses, one of which might be a real long-term winner for them. And they're, they're navigating through this thing. And who knows, they, they might be in that top 10%. My point is, to your discussion on the, the McDermott stuff, we can take a victim position or we can say, we decide. And so if we know history tells us 10% gets stronger, let's say we're gonna be in that 10% and let's start asking ourselves questions. What do we need to do in our business to be in that top 10%? Hey, Chris, you just mentioned McDermott in this context. <clears throat> Let me read this. Uh, one of the things he said yesterday about their choice when the COVID thing really started to hit. And at the same time, we said, why are we going to be slowed down by this? We're actually more relevant. We have more strategic authority at this moment in time than we've ever had before because the world needs us so much more. So we literally made the decision at that meeting to do a few things. One, we're not going to slow down. We're not going to give up. 
We're going to accelerate pace because that's what our customers need us to do. Two, we're going to bring the ecosystem in. We don't care who gets the credit as long as the customer wins with their customer. And three, we're going to treat people with great dignity and respect. It's a choice. Yeah. And he's also, say, if I'm not mistaken, um, ServiceNow's pledged not to do any layoffs. They hired 1,500 people in the last two months. And they've committed with all their vendors. He said, you know, whether whatever they supply to us, he said, we're not going to reduce their hours. We're not going to reduce their pay. He said, they yeah. didn't cause this. and We're going to get through this. And after this is over, we're going to have stronger relationships with those folks and with customers than we've ever had before. And some of the things that you've written about this, right? How do you get that? How do you get those five people in a room and create new ideas? And you become that person that, you know, in the near future that those customers say, I got to stick with these folks. That's right. We have agency. We can create the future. The future needs us. We can be in that top 10%. We can be the, the gals and guys that, that design the future for our communities, our companies, our categories and industries. Um, the government has a key role to play, but look, this is, this is going to happen in large part in the private sector and in our local, at the local community level. Chris, for people in businesses, just as maybe as they'll see it as a warning sign, either to step up and do more herself or himself, or maybe I need to go get a job somewhere else. <clears throat> this seems in some ways, you know, blindingly obvious. Why wouldn't you aspire to be in that top 10%? But what are, why do all executives not embrace this and seize it and run with it? Um, you know, I think it goes back to some of the stuff Akshay talks about. Uh, fear is a very paralyzing thing. Um, I can't remember what book it was. Damn it. I remember I wrote a, read a book years ago about sort of like wilderness and adventure survival. You know, I like to go on all these crazy trips and do all this stuff. And I, I wish I could give credit to the author or for that matter, even the book. But anyway, you know, it's been a lot of scotches ago. One of the things in this book, so this is definitely not my idea, was, and I'd never thought about this before, being lost is a choice. So we've all had the experience of being lost. And what I never thought about until I read this was, you decide, now I'm lost. There's a moment where you don't think you're lost, and you're like, oh, was it, was it that tree or this tree? Is it, and then you get to the fork in the road, take it, you know, all that shit. And then you're like, fuck, I'm lost. But you decided to be lost. And then our, our physiology changes, right? Our palms can get sweatier. Our armpits can get sweatier. Our breathing can get, go from lower in our diaphragm to higher in our diaphragm. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, get a little panicky and shit. And it's just because you decided that you thought you recognized where you were and now you think you don't recognize. And, and so anyway, what's my point? Hopefully it's obvious. Um, and I'll just say this, how it's in my head. <laughs> I appreciate you letting me oh talk boy. like oh how boy. I think. Um, being fucked is a decision. Just like being lost is a decision. Now, I'm not trying to put whipped cream on dog shit. There are many of us and many companies in very dire circumstances. I'm not, that's absolutely true. But you could say we're in dire circumstances. We're fucked. 
There's nothing we can do. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I'm going to eat some worms and just collapse. Or you could say, we're some kind of fucked. And now we're going to stand up like the badasses that we are. And not only are we going to unfuck it, but we are going to decide what our future is going to be because I fucking say so. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a choice too. Chris, the, the physiological thing that you have there, why is it if you're in a car with a guy, I don't think women do this, but every guy I've ever known does this. When you're in a car and the guy decide, the guy driving decides I'm lost, the very first thing every guy does is turn the radio down. Because <laughs> the minute we're lost, that radio needs to, it needs to get a lot quieter. <laughs> By the way, isn't it the same thing too? Like if you're trying to park in a sort of a challenging way, or maybe you're parking a vehicle you're not used to or whatever, and you know, somebody's got some Van Halen or Ramones going or whatever, and you're like, you need to turn that shit down because now I got to figure out how to park this thing and I'm not used to doing that. Yeah, I, these are... These are questions beyond my level. I need a medical professional to deal with those. And that's why well, I see, as a medical professional, I'm a, I advise that uh, during a global pandemic that causes a massive recession, uh, uh, there might be times you need to turn the radio down. <laughs> Chris, if you would look behind you over your right shoulder, just there's space just to the left of that object. If you either one under your guitars or the other side, get your medical professional certificate up there. Right here, right here. I'll put it next to my, you know, I'm an ordained minister as well. I'm not surprised. Well, I mean, because in America, we have freedom of religion, right? So these, and I use this word on purpose, dudes years ago. Did I tell you this already? I don't believe so. They created a religion based on the teachings of the Big Lebowski. And so you could check out dudism.org. And if you go there, like me, it takes two seconds. Uh, you can become an ordained dudist minister. Well, I did hear you earlier uh, proclaim that this aggression will not stand. Man, exactly. And, and what I... I thought I was being very creative and funny, right? So, of course, you remember in the movie, he quotes the first President Bush around the first Iraq war where he says, this aggression will not stand. And then the big Lebowski, or the, uh, the dude in the big Lebowski says, this aggression will not stand, man, in the context of what's going on in the movie. And if you're a guy like me, that's very fucking funny. So... As it relates to this recession, we're doing this thing on my marketing podcast. We call it a, the, the, it's the first marketing pod storm, 30 days of like nonstop new marketing podcasts to help oh. you through the recession. And the first episode of the pod storm is called this recession will not stand, man. <laughs> Outstanding. That's the mindset, Bob. This recession will not stand, man. Outstanding. We are not participating in the recession. Up the downturn. That's right. That's right. Chris, you know, these, uh, it's a little bit like uh, chatting with you every month. It's a little bit like, uh, what would it be? A very long phase uh, strobe light. You know, you're there. We sort of see things coming on. Things go dark for a little while. You come back in a slightly different uh, appearance. But the, the insights and the inspiration, I think, are, are great. 
because um, the, it, the very serious straits everybody's in. There's lots of dangerous stuff going on. We all know that. But man, this is a, a you know, we, we got through World War II. You know, a lot of our parents were in their teens or 20s when that happened. We got through that. We're going to get through this. And I think the, the best thing about getting through it is you talk about radical self-reliance, radical creativity, radical innovation, and radical generosity, which I think you've got to weave, you know, back up in that, your, your uh, mighty quartet there, your radical quartet. But the future needs you, Chris, is one of your best ones. Uh, well done. Um, really great. Uh, we wish you all the best with your upcoming pod storm. That sounds wild. And where could somebody dial in and hear about what you're doing? Lockhead.com. That's it. It's the master thing. Final words, Mr. Guru. Well, I don't know if I'm a guru. Um, I, I, uh, I think we can look to the past. We do know that um, this, this too will pass. Wasn't that Churchill? Um, and um, we do know that other generations faced this. This is the toughest uh, challenge of our generation. There's no, there's no question about that. And we, those of us who want to invent the future of our choosing need to make that decision, that agency decision, the decision that I'm not fucked that I can create the future. And I think those of us in the technology industry have a very special opportunity because if it wasn't clear before, it sure is clear now. Um, information technology makes a gigantic different, difference and is gonna be a massive part of um, not just what gets us out of this, which is important, but I think more importantly is, I think we are in this cocoon stage. And the question is, what are we going to be when we come out of it? Are we going to be a butterfly or are we going to be something horrible? <laughs> and so we got a shot here, folks. We got a real shot to um, create the future of our choosing. We can get involved with our communities. We can get deeply involved with technology and with innovation and with our companies. You could be the person that changes the trajectory of your company. You could be the person that changes the trajectory of your community. And if not you, who? Why not you? Why not you and I? And so I've been deeply inspired, Bob, by, of course, our healthcare heroes, of course, our retail workers, of course, our supply chain heroes, right? And all of those people in our local communities that are trying to find a way forward in the face of, you know, horrible, horrible healthcare outcomes and the worst economic outcome we've ever seen. But we have a choice. And I, I look, I'll be completely candid with you. There are times where I feel defeated too. There are times when I hear about what's going on that I cry. I, I mean, you, you live much of your life in New York. I have many friends in New York. I spent a lot of time in New York. I spent a lot of time on the phone with friends in New York ever since this happened. It's, 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 it's a heart-wrenching thing when all you hear when you're on the phone with somebody is sirens. Uh, I've known people, I know people who've gotten this disease. I know people who've died of this disease. Those are very real things. 
The economic dislocation is very real. There are some companies that will never go back. One of our most treasured institutions in Santa Cruz, a restaurant called Gilda's, uh, that's been around for multiple generations since the 1800s is going out of business. Those things are fucking happening. And I say in the face of all of that, we still have a choice. I'm trying to make the choice to be a person who um, helps to create a future that works. Beautifully said, brother. And uh, in that very personal vein, I will mention to you and to our friends who are listening or watching that uh, my two daughters both live and work in New York City and the older one, Ella, is she and her husband are building their own future. They are four and a half months pregnant today. And that's a pretty sweet future. Christopher, thanks a million. Fantastic thoughts, inspirations, ideas, insights, and get your medical degree up there and you'll be even more impressive going forward. I'm a tr- I'll start, that'll be my first line in my bio. Christopher Lockhead is a trained medical professional. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Love you, Christopher. Thank you. Love you too, Bob. Thank you so much. We'll talk soon. All right. So long, folks. Thanks to all of you for being with us. Lockhead on different. It's always special. There'll be more coming soon. Thanks a lot for being with us. Bye-bye.